0: So, we are starting a new teaching series, and we're going to jump into the series with this scenario. Imagine you've headed out of the city of London, um, you're hanging out with some friends in a bit more of a rural context, and you're catching up over dinner, and at the dinner table, someone says, So, you live in London? How, how do you find living in London? Now, what comes out of your mouth next? I'm fascinated by that. Because in my experience, there's a spectrum. Over here, those that head out of London and have some time in the countryside, the first thing they do is hug a tree. It's an emotional experience just trying to engage again with nature. And as they talk about being out of the city, they do, like, well up. It's like, oh, the, the air is so fresh and clean. And, and I, I saw a cow earlier. It's been a decade since I've seen a cow. It was, like, massive. And... Um, and London can be pretty painful, like it, the pressure of London, like the pace of London. It can be dog eat dog. The cost of living in London. I had a flat white last week. It was £4.50. And, and they begin to talk about the challenges of, of being in London. Right, That's one end of the spectrum, other end of the spectrum. How do you find living in London? Love it. Absolutely love it. It is the greatest city on planet Earth. Like the energy, the creativity, the diversity. I've got over 10 million friends in London. And to be part of a global city shaping global culture and to get to contribute something into that, I count that a privilege. I love London, right? Now, there's the spectrum. We're all on that spectrum somewhere. And we're not static, right? We move. So certain days, you'll be one place on the spectrum. Other days, you'll be somewhere else on the spectrum. But we're all on the spectrum, right? And the question I want to ask, more than just what's your posture towards London? What is the posture of God towards London, right? So Tim Keller, the late Tim Keller, theologian, pastor, thinker. Basically builds a theology of the city based on the heart of Jesus towards Jerusalem. And from that builds a theology of the heart of God towards the city and therefore the city of London. And he basically names these four things. Number one, Jesus loves the city. You know, he weeps over Jerusalem. You weep over the things you really care about. And he weeps over Jerusalem, seeing the city settle for less than what they were made for. He, he loves the city enough to fight for the city, to speak truth to power those that are causing oppression in the city. Thirdly, he weds himself to the well-being of the city that leads to number four. He sacrifices himself for the sake of the city right? He dies a brutal death outside of the city of Jerusalem to redeem the city of Jerusalem. He bled and died to redeem London. You know that, right? He loves, loves London. And my prayer of the next seven weeks is we would capture something of the heart of God for London. Wherever you are on that spectrum, my hope and prayer is that you'd incrementally move towards this posture of God towards the city, um, towards the city of Jerusalem. London. And we're going to name seven redemptive shifts over the next seven weeks. We're looking over the next seven weeks at seven cities in the Old and New Testament and how God engages with these cities. So we're going to look at Babylon, Hebron, Jerusalem, Ephesus, Athens, Rome, and the New Jerusalem. And we're going to look at these redemptive shifts that need to happen in the city, but more than that need to happen in our hearts, right? So today we're going to look at extraction from extraction to servanthood. From taking from the city to seeking to serve the city. Next week we'll look at from conflict to refuge. Then from slavery to freedom. From individualism to community. From idolatry to worship. From greed to generosity. From conforming to transforming. And I'll say it again. It's not enough to pray, Lord, would you bring about these redemptive shifts in the city, right? To stand at a distance, remaining unchanged, Lord, would you do it? No, our prayer should be, Lord, would you bring about these redemptive shifts in the city? But would you start with me? Lord, send revival, start with me. Bring about these shifts in my own heart, in my own posture towards London. And today we're going to start with From Extraction to Servanthood. So if you've got a Bible, for both of you that brought your Bibles, why don't you turn to Genesis chapter 11? Now, we're looking at the city of Babylon. Genesis 11 is the origin story of the city of Babylon, it's the story of the Tower of Babel. Every city has an origin story, right? The New Jerusalem, the origin story is the Garden of Eden, right? The end of the story is this city, and at the center of this garden city is Eden. So the origin story of the New Jerusalem is Eden. The origin story of Babylon is the Tower of Babel. And we're going to read it together. So Genesis 11 verse 1. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in shiner and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Fascinating. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. And here's the key phrase so that we may make a name for ourselves. That isn't for the glory of God, right? That's for our glory. We want to make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, If as one people seek speaking the same language, they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. I want you to observe some of the key ingredients of this Babel's story, the beginning of the story of the city of Babylon. You might be able to identify some parallels to the city of London. Number one, humanity attempting to make their way to heaven. In other words, build heaven on earth without God. A utopian vision brought about through human endeavour. In other words, the myth of human progress. There's confusion regarding language And if there's confusion, like that means there's division, right? Think of London, 10 million people, but so much division, so much confusion. The people are scattered, 10 million people, right? How many people feel chronically isolated and lonely in a city of 10 million? People trying to be God's Rivals, fierce competition, dog eat dog, right? That begins on your way to work on the tube, right? As well as when you get to work. People making a name for themselves. Everyone trying to be top dog, right? Identify any of that in your own journey through your time in London. And I want you to observe what happens when the spirit of God is poured out on the city. Because if you read Acts chapter 2, the story of Pentecost, most commentators observe that beneath the text of Acts 2 is the story of Babel, the origin story of Babylon. You can look at the comparisons on the screen. So at Pentecost, right, rather than humanity trying to ascend to the heavens, the Spirit comes down. We don't hype the Spirit up. He comes down. And as he comes down, he brings the rule and reign of heaven with him. Suddenly there's understanding regarding language. People hear the gospel being proclaimed in their own native tongue. That's a picture of unity. The people are being gathered together. People becoming God's servants. Not competition anymore or rivalry. They become servants, people living for the name of Jesus rather than trying to make a name for themselves. When the Spirit is poured out on a city, Pentecost is what we should expect, right? That's the norm, which is why as a church, if you've been at Kexie for any length of time, you'll know that what's precious to us in this season is, is we're learning to contend for a move of the Spirit. We are praying for, we are preparing for a revival. The reason we're contending for revival, for fire to fill the church, isn't to make our gatherings more exciting. You know, without that, they're a bit dry, right? And it's just a bit more engaging, a bit more energy in the room where there's a a revival spirituality. No, that's not why we're contending for revival. Not to make these gatherings more compelling and exciting. We're praying for revival because when the church is filled with fire, you tend to experience awakenings in the surrounding culture. Like the last very significant awakening in this land, the evangelical awakening, it led to prison reform, reform in education, reform in welfare, reform in politics, and the list goes on. When the church was set on fire with a passion for Jesus, there was an awakening in the surrounding culture. That's why we're contending for a move of the Spirit. We want to see the church on fire we want to see the city come alive. Revival in the church leading to awakening in the surrounding culture in the city of London. So let's look at this question, how can Babylon be redeemed? And the answer is the spirit of God being poured out on Babylon, right? For Babylon to be redeemed, it needs the people of God carrying the spirit of God to be in Babylon, Yeah? For Babylon to be redeemed, the people of God need to be carrying the presence of God and they need to be in Babylon. So we're going to trace the story of how do the people of God carry the spirit of God to Babylon. A little bit of a history lesson, stick with me. Okay, the story starts in Egypt. Many of you will know the story that for 400 years, uh, the people of Israel are slaves in Egypt under this oppressive regime. Right? They are beaten, they are oppressed. And what are they used for? They are used to build cities for the Egyptian empire. What was Egypt best known for? Like pyramids like buildings. How did they build all these cities? Um, And the answer is they would overpower the surrounding nations, crush them underfoot, enslave the people, and then put the people to work to build cities for the Egyptian empire. And that was the experience for 400 years for the people of Israel. And then something extraordinary happens. We call it the exodus. Like God steps in, sends Moses to Pharaoh and you've got this deliverance journey. There's 10 plagues. There's the parting of the Red Sea. An incredible moment. They walk through on dry land and after 400 years of slavery, they finally taste freedom and they journey through the wilderness. They enter into a covenant relationship with Yahweh God. They hit the banks of the River Jordan. Repeat miracle. The waters part. They go through on dry land. They overtake the city of Jericho and they settle in this land, a land of Abundance that had been promised for them. And eventually they create a home in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, city of shalom. The city where they can thrive. The city where they can flourish and be at peace. And just picture this, 400 years of oppression. And then finally they're free and they're in their own land, dwelling with God in this beautiful city. Like What an incredible story of deliverance. Story of transformation. You see, in Egypt, they were building cities for the empire of Egypt. Now, when they get to Jerusalem, city of Shalom, they basically say to God, God, like, you've delivered us. Like, you've been so generous. Like, we are free. We're sons and daughters. We're not slaves anymore. With our freedom, we want to build you a home. We want to build up this city. We want to build a house for you to dwell in so you can dwell amongst us. And they don't do this because they're forced to. They do it because they want to, as an act of worship, as an act of gratitude to Yahweh God for delivering them. But, key slide, added the word but, right? God says something to the people. He, He says, I've liberated you, but I've liberated you with intention. I've liberated you to be agents of liberation to the surrounding nations, right? Never use your freedom to bring oppression to others. I've liberated you from slavery to be a blessing to the nations, a light to the Gentiles. Never use your freedom to oppress those around you. This is what he says, Exodus 23, verse 9. Do not oppress a foreigner. You yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners. Do you remember 400 years in Egypt? You know how it feels. Because you were foreigners in Egypt, right? So what happens as you trace the story forward? 1 Kings 9, verse 15. Here is the account of the forced labor King Solomon conscripted to build the Lord's temple. His own palace, the terraces, the wall of Jerusalem, and Hazar, Megiddo, and Giza. So I want you to focus on the language there. Forced labor. Conscription, right? What's another term for forced labor? Slavery, right? This is King Solomon, the king of Israel, right? Building a house for the God who liberates slaves using slaves. This is King Solomon building a temple for the God who liberates slaves and he's using slaves. These three towns, Hazar, Megiddo and Giza, they were military bases just outside Jerusalem, the city of Shalom. Like, why do you need military bases? If you're in a place of peace. And that's because Solomon's getting ready for war. He's not wanting just shalom. He's wanting to advance his kingdom, his empire. and He's using slaves to do it. Listen to what happens in 1 Kings 10, the next chapter. Solomon, the king, accumulated chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses. These are weapons of war, by the way, in the ancient world. If you've got a Bible, you might want to underline 12,000 horses. We're going to come back to that. Which he kept in the chariot cities, um, that's the military bases, and also with him in Jerusalem. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones. If you've got a Bible, you might want to underline that. Silver as common as stones, right? We'll come back to it. And cedar as plentiful as sycamore fig trees in the foothills. Solomon's horses were from... Tough crowd, Egypt. Yeah, the answer's on the screen, Egypt. They imported a chariot from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. They also exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and the Aramaeans. So Solomon is exporting weapons of war. He's importing weapons of war. In other words, he's an arms dealer, right? Trading weapons of war. Now, the Torah, the kings... Um, And the people would have known the Torah inside out, the first five books of the Bible. The king would have memorised the first five books of the Bible. And he knows there are specific laws um, specifically for his role. Um, I'm going to read you one of them. This is Deuteronomy 17, verse 16. The king, this is the Torah, God speaking to the king. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you're not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives, or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver or gold. So if we were just to do a little assessment of how Solomon's getting on, I've got some sound effects for you. 12,000 horses, wah, wah. Like, no, the king made silver as common as stones, wah, wah. And then Solomon's horses were imported from? Yeah. Egypt, right? Like, th- this is crazy. Can you see what's going on? Solomon has become the new Pharaoh. Israel has become the new Egypt. The slaves have become the slave drivers. Right, this is the tragedy of the narrative arc of the Old Testament. Solomon has become Pharaoh. Israel has become Egypt. The slaves have become the slave drivers. This is the story beginning in Egypt. They were slaves. They were oppressed, building cities for the Egyptian empire. God liberates them. Salvation. They're in the city of Shalom, sons and daughters, free. And as an act of worship, building a temple for Yahweh God, and then an act of rebellion. They reject God and they embrace the idols, right? And things begin to go horribly wrong. They become the slave drivers. They become the oppressors and they start building military bases, cities for themselves to build up their own empire. Now, God is going to intervene, right? God is not going to allow his people who are set apart to carry his blessing to the nations, a light to the Gentiles, a vehicle of redemption and healing. He's not going to allow them to become a vehicle of oppression and violence. He's going to intervene, right? And we're going to get there. But before we do... I want to move from the abstract, right? History into now. What's happening in our lives. Back to this spectrum of our experience in London. Because there will be some in London, if you were brutally honest, and often we don't have the courage to be brutally honest in church. But if we were brutally honest, there'd be some in the room that would say, I feel trapped in London. Like there are cycles of, poverty that mean I can't thrive here in London and cycles of Poverty mindsets that I can't get free of. And there's addictions that are robbing me of fullness of life. And and the pace of life. And the pressure of life. And the dog-eat-dog environment of London is actually getting me down. Like my anxiety levels are high. My mental health is pretty low right now. I'm really struggling. And I don't know how I'm going to get by. Month by month, I'm stressed about rent. I'm not really doing that well in my work. I'm just trying to keep up. I feel like I'm drowning in the waters of... London. And if you're in that place, you are not alone in a room like this. There will be a significant number who feel like I'm not thriving in London, I'm fighting to survive, right? That's one end of the spectrum. And there's another end of the spectrum that looks pretty different, right? And the mindset of those on this end of the spectrum is like I'm using and abusing London for my own purposes, right? This is Project Self we're engaged in. And I'm trying to use London to build Project Self. I'm here to climb some ladders of influence, to accumulate some wealth, right? To to grow my sphere of influence, maybe get on the property ladder, allow that to accumulate more wealth there. And then when I've got what I need from London, I'll head out of London at that point. And I will buy a property in the suburbs, right? Because they have gardens. Have you heard of those gardens? They have gardens in the the suburbs. And the the schools tend to be better in the suburbs. Um, and, And I'll just live a more comfortable life. I'm here for a window to get what I need from London to apply that to my story, my agenda, my purposes. I'm using and abusing London for my story, right? And when you've got a population of 10 million, with a very significant number basically saying, I'm drowning in the waters, I'm not sure I can really cope. And then you've got millions basically saying, I'm using and abusing this city for my purposes. When you've got all of that going on, it explains the devastation, the pain, the anxiety in a city like this. Kingdom transformation, right, won't come from using and abusing. It comes when sons and daughters say, I am here to serve what you're doing, God. I want to partner with you in building what you're building in the city of London. For your glory, you're now not my own. For some in the room, what you're longing for is rescue, salvation. And I want you to know that you don't need to orchestrate your own rescue. You have a saviour. His name is Jesus. And saviour doesn't necessarily mean leaving the city just to survive. God can break into your situation. Whatever anxiety, despair, you feel like you're drowning in, God can break in and redeem you and lift you from the mud and the mire, and put your feet on solid rock and put a new song in your heart. He does this kind of thing all the time. You don't need to orchestrate your own salvation. You have a savior, his name is Jesus. And I want some of you to know that Jesus is here today by his spirit, wanting to rescue those that feel like they're drowning in London. But there's another group in the room and the invitation for you is towards repentance. If you're here and you know, and this will be all of us at a certain point in our story, but if you know you're in a moment where you're using and abusing London for your own purposes, there's a technical name for that. It's called sin. And where sin is present, we need to repent and allow Jesus to wash away our sin, cleanse us from all unrighteousness and renew us, right? It's the sons and daughters of God Building with God that transform the city. Right, I said God was going to intervene. So he does intervene. At the covenant at Mount Sinai, God said, look, I'm going to adopt you. I'm going to be dad. And you're going to, this is paraphrase, obviously. And you're going to be the children. And as your father in heaven, I'm going to pour out blessing upon blessing upon blessing on you. And if you stay in this covenant relationship, you're going to be blessed. You will know peace. You will know shalom. You will flourish. But I'm not a control freak right? So I'm giving you free will. So if you want to break the covenant and walk away from me, I'm giving you freedom to do that, right? And that's exactly what the nation of Israel do. They break the covenant. They walk away from God. They worship the gods of the surrounding nations. And as they walk away, and God said this would happen, if you walk away from blessing, and if you walk away from God, who's the source of life, walking away from blessing means walking towards something that's going to feel like a curse, Walking away from life means journeying towards death. And in Deuteronomy 28, 29, 30, God says that curse, that death will look like exile. The surrounding nations will come in and invade. This is exactly what happens historically. The Assyrians come in and invade in Jerusalem right and then the babylonians come in they finish the job they devastate the city they devastate the temple they take the the and the jews from jerusalem to be slaves helping build the cities of the babylonian empire in other words they're back where they started slaves oppressed building cities for others right now do you remember A little while ago, I asked the question, how can Babylon be redeemed? I said, the people of God carrying the presence of God need to get to Babylon, right? Well, here they are. Now, they're here because of their rebellion, their pride, their arrogance, their disobedience. But the people of God carrying the presence of God are now in Babylon. So when it comes to the transformation of Babylon, like, it's game on, right? It's game on. Now, this is just so beautiful. God can redeem all the mess, right? That we create. They've created such mess, but God's like, okay, now let's get ready for a story of redemption and healing and restoration. There'll be some of you, when you think about why you're here in London, you might be thinking, good question. I actually don't know why I'm here in London. Like, I just drifted. I made this decision, that decision, and here I am. Here I am. Some of you will be thinking, I'm here because I was running from something or someone. Just left sort of mess over there. I just had to escape. And I just thought, where? And, and I'm here. Like you might be here without really knowing why you might be here. Because of rebellion, pride. There'll be multitude of different reasons why you're here. But honestly, I think the Lord would want to say over us, it doesn't really matter how you got here. The reality is you're here right now. Carrying the spirit of God. So when it comes to the redemption of the city of London, in kingdom terms, it's game on. It's game on. Like, don't beat yourself up thinking, oh, should I have been here? Like, how did I get here? It doesn't matter. You're here right now. And God has a mission for you. So let me read you this letter. This is Jeremiah 29, a prophet speaking into this situation. They're exiled in Babylon. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. It said, "Now this 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 is incredible. We're about to read a letter from God to the exiles." And as Jeremiah basically said, look, I've got a letter. I've got a message for you. You can imagine the people of God like bracing for impact. Of like, ah, this is discipline time. He disciplines the ones he loves. Like, eek! And and they're probably thinking, God's going to write a letter basically saying,
1: you deserve it.
0: You were rebellious. You were idolatrous. I told you if you walked away from me, if you walked away from blessing, it would amount to a curse, the curse being exile. I told you and you did it anyway. And this next 70 years in Babylon is punishment. And it's going to be for your formation to teach you to obey the commands of Yahweh, God. So here's my encouragement the next 70 years is going to suck right? Just get your head down, brace for impact, you'll get through it and in 70 years I'll come and redeem you. They were probably expecting a letter a little bit like that but that isn't the letter they get, right? This is the letter they get. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Not get your head down and survive but build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Do you know what is mind boggling about this letter? When you know the origin story of Babel, it was set up to stand opposed to God you would kind of think that God would say, do you know what? I'm going to just destroy Babylon, right? I'm just going to like take it to the ground, right? But what the Jewish people suddenly realize in this letter is that the heart of God towards Babylon isn't to destroy it. He wants it to prosper. In other words, God loves Babylon. You only redeem that which you love and God's about to redeem Babylon. Babylon. That is extraordinary. Let's keep reading verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I'll come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. And here's the verse that we love. Our fridges are fully aware of this verse. (laughs) For some of us, it's a tattoo on the body. (laughs) For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And end it there, because we just rip it out of context. (laughs) But, We're not going to rip it out of context. We're going to carry on reading. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I'll listen to you. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I'll bring you back from captivity. I'll gather you from all the nations and places where I've banished you, declares the Lord, and I'll bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. This is God saying, look, in 70 years time, I'm going to... Return you to Jerusalem, the city of Shalom. That's the promised land. That's where I called you to, right? Like, I am going to redeem you. I'm going to bring you back. But the next 70 years, it's not just get your head down and survive. And the next 70 years aren't just about your formation. You learning a lesson. Look at the verse that I'm highlighting on the screen. God says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon. We read most of the scripture through a me-centered lens. This is about me. This is about the nation of Israel. This is about the people of God being formed because of their mistakes. And God says, you're in Babylon, not just because of your rebellion, your disobedience. You're in Babylon for Babylon. Because I want to pour out my spirit on Babylon. I want to redeem Babylon. You're not in London for you. If you follow Jesus, I just want to make this really clear. You're not in London for you. You're in London for him, right? So any mindset of I'm here for my story, my agenda, that isn't the kingdom mindset. You're in London for Jesus when 70 years are completed for Babylon. So how do we have this mindset, which is the Babylonian kind of mindset for the people of Israel living in Babylon? How do we thrive, like create gardens, all of that stuff? And the answer is, we have a missionary mindset, not a passing through mindset. This would be my deep encouragement for you. Like, don't have a mindset of "I'm just passing through." Right? There will be a number of people that all you've ever known is London, born and bred Londoner. Right? This is home for you. You fully put down roots. And for you, we we need to develop a missionary mindset too. Right? But there will be others who are not born and bred Londoner. And people will ask you, like, where are you from? And there's a standard response. I'm from, fill in the gaps. From LA, I'm from Scotland. From Bristol, I'm from Cape Town, right? Oh, what are you in London for? Oh, I'm in London for my career. I'm in London for my studies. I'm in London for a really good time. I'm in London for two years, right? Oh, where are you heading to afterwards? Oh, I'm heading back to Cape Town, back to Bristol. I'm heading to Scotland, or I'm heading to fill in The gaps, right? And when you have a mindset of I'm just passing through, do you know what happens? You fully begin to embrace consumerism. I'm here to consume, right? I'm here to extract, to get something from the city. I'm here to build a career, to climb some ladders of influence. I'm here to make a name for myself. And it means that there's a low commitment to place, right? And there's a low commitment to people, right? Why commit? when you know you're just passing through, right? It's why for many, many people in London, they don't even know the names of their neighbours. If you think of your flat, you know, where you live and think of maybe the flat above, the flat below, to the right, to the left, maybe even at the diagonals, what are their names and what are their stories? And for most of us, we'd answer that and be like, I don't even know, I haven't got to know them. Why, why would we not get to know our neighbours? Because for a lot of us, we've just developed a mindset, I'm just passing through. I'm just passing through, right? That isn't a missionary mindset. For Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, some of the the greats of this moment in the story, they didn't have a mindset of passing through. They were missionaries in Babylon. They were from Jerusalem. They knew they were heading back to the new Jerusalem, the restored Jerusalem, but they put down roots in Babylon, planted gardens planted vineyards drank the wine we're like we are here and whilst we're here we're going to commit and we're going to serve and we're going to live for the kingdom and we're going to see this place transformed and if you read some of the literature from that time in the story the stories of kingdom breakthrough are extraordinary extraordinary want to close with a story then It's not a story, actually. It's more of an experience. Yesterday, I'd written most of this talk, and I knew that I needed to land on a big story, right? It just helps with preaching. If you've got a big story that emotionally stirs stuff, it just creates more space for the spirit to move in ministry. That is my experience. I'm obviously joking. I am joking. But, right, I I was thinking, I need a big story just to land this message. And I couldn't find, just couldn't find a story. Um, And I went out for dinner with some of my dearest friends, people at a very similar life stage to to B and I. And something happened over dinner and I was like, I don't need a story. I'm just going to tell the church about this moment, right? So we were at dinner, six of us. I've known these guys for over 20 years. We've all been living in London for over 20 years. Um, These are some of the people that helped plant KXE 14 years ago. Um, And we were basically talking about some of the challenges of the life stage that we are in, which isn't the life stage of everyone in this room, right? Um, so for us, it was like, oh, the next birthday we're going to celebrate is our 50th. That's depressing. And, and we're like at a stage of life where family life is full and we've got teenagers and they can be difficult at times. So life feels full on the family front. And in terms of work and career, most of us, we feel like we're at a stage of like high levels of responsibility with lower levels of freedom. can't remember the last time I went to the cinema. Um, and it's like, so high responsibility, lower free- We're basically moaning. We were moaning and it felt really fantastic. Um, so we, we were moaning and, and then we, we started to, to sort of like pray for one another. And in that moment, I just felt God say, why tell a story of someone somewhere else when you're living in one of these stories right now? Right. And, and I, I said to the room, I said, look, I'm preaching on this tomorrow and I just want you to know I'm so grateful that we've done life together for the last 20 years. I I wouldn't have made it through the last 20 years without you. And honestly, KXC wouldn't exist without you serving. And we basically were sharing some of the scars of like living in London over like 20 plus years. And I realized any one of us could have pressed the eject button like over the last two decades when it got really hard. Like, oh, it's just, it would be easier in the suburbs. It would be easy if we did... And none of us did. And we were talking about the sense of calling we had to the city. And that we we wanted to serve what God was doing in the city. And we, we wanted to establish a foundation so that a church could emerge and could thrive and contribute to the restoration and redemption of the city. And as I looked around the room, I was just like, you guys, you're a gift, an amazing gift to me to be, to KXE. Like, thank you. For not just hitting the eject button when you could have done, but honouring your calling to serve London, right? Not having a mindset of I'm just passing through, but a missionary mindset of I'm putting down roots. I'm going to plant a garden. I'm going to plant a vineyard. I'm going to drink the wine. If London prospers, we're going to prosper. So we're going to work towards London prospering. And there'll be many of you who have equivalent stories in your own life where you recognise, do you know what? There are people in this room that have become pillars in your life that have basically taken on this mindset of like, whether I'm here for a year, because there will be some who are here for a short window of time, a semester, a year of studies, or a two-year placement in your career, or I'm just here for a few years, whatever. There will be people like that. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, right? But there'll be people in your life where you recognize, even though they were only here for a window, they put down roots. And they became such a deep friend. They became a pillar for me so that I didn't need just to survive London, but I could find a way of flourishing here in London and seeing the kingdom of God break out. Why don't we stand?